chapter 1. Psalm 1, and let's read the six verses that we have here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and time to spend in it. And today, Father, as we take a break of our normal course of studying verse by verse through the book of Luke, we ask for your blessing on this time as we consider one of your psalms. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of you and our knowledge of the word and the power of your Holy Spirit that we might live out what we come to know. Thank you that with your words you renew our minds. But Father, we pray that with renewed minds we would go and live lives that would glorify you as we take actions to fulfill your great commission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 1, the two roads of life are contrasted for us here. The way of the blessed and the way of the ungodly. Dr. Stephen Lawson notes, One road leads to blessing, the other to cursing. One to salvation, the other to destruction. There are only two roads in life, the way of the godly and the way of the ungodly. And they lead to two opposite destinies. One to life and the other to death. So we learn from this psalm that our destiny is determined by the decisions that we make in life. And not just in this lifetime, but for all of eternity. The things you're going to do today are not due today. The things you're going to do tomorrow are not due tomorrow are affecting your eternity. They matter. Spurgeon said, walk with God and you cannot mistake the road. You have infallible wisdom to direct you, permanent love to comfort you, and eternal power to defend you. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord for these blessings God has given us. I want to talk to you today about a blessed life. That's what's laid out for us here in Psalm 1. It's a life lived insulated from the deceptions and the defilements of the evil world around us. A blessed life is a life lived with a singular focus on God and a singular focus on God's Word. In contrast to this, in our text today, we have the ungodly, the pagan. They are unstable and they will perish. This is not a foreign concept. Even outside of the Scriptures, we find such things that lead us to think about two roads or choices we make and which direction are we going to go. I like the poem by Robert Frost when he talks about the road not taken. He says, two roads diverged in a wood and I. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. It's a unique concept in human thinking of which road am I going to take or which road am I on? We begin by having portrayed for us a blessed life in verses 1 through 3. The world we live in has God's plan reversed. 
These verses lay out for us God's plan, but every day we are faced with a society, a media system that is full of propaganda, an educational system that is directed in this way, a banking system, a consumer market system, all of these systems that are working against the biblical pretense here that God gives us of what a blessed life should look like. So it's very hard for you and I in today's world to buck that, to live against that. But I want you to understand that this is, this is not just a, a good lesson that was given to the Israelites early on. This was a part of their, we would call it now our hymnal. This was their psaltery. This was their songbook. This was something that they regularly rehearsed together because it's what they valued and lived by. And they weren't singing this in admonition as much as just affirmation. It could be sung in admonition, but they were singing it saying, this is how we live, and and we know the other way is not good. I hope you leave here today with that same kind of thinking. Our world portrays that those devoted to God are miserable, and that those who live their life unshackled by the Scriptures or by any deity are the ones who truly find fun in life. It's not true. It's a trap and it's a deception. In reality, the godly are blessed because they do not live according to sinful philosophies, practices, or associations of fallen men, but are deeply rooted in God's Word. How does God begin His psalm book? You're at the first page. You're at the first chapter. You're at the first verse. What is the first word? Blessed. God begins his hymnal with the word blessed. Sing. Sing these songs. Live out the doctrines that you find in these songs, that they teach you. And what is the understanding? Your life will be blessed. We begin in verse 1 with a God-centered life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. God's abundant favor will rest upon the person who truly lives a God-centered life. The word blessed here is a unique word. It, It literally means happiness. We don't always think of of it that way. We think of it in, in sort of a verb or an adverb form here. I have been blessed. As if it's something that has happened to us. But Here it is presented more in the state of being. I live in happiness. That doesn't work well in our language. It would be odd if we started and we said the Hebrew hymn book says happiness is the man. It it, kind of goes odd for us there, doesn't it? So blessed fits. But often it leads us to attribute this in a way that I don't think God intends. It allows us to sort of compartmentalize our faith. If ever you are compartmentalizing your faith, you're getting your faith wrong. It's not supposed to fit in your box. You're supposed to fit in it. You're supposed to live outside of your box unto this faith. The idea then from the human perspective says, well, okay, Psalm 1, preacher gave it to us. I'm going to try to live this out this week so I can have a happy week. Because I had a sad week last week. Or I had a mad week last week. Or I didn't have a glad week last week. So I'm going to try to live this out so I can have a happy week. That's not my sermon. My sermon is to you whether you have a sad week or a mad week or a bad week or whatever other word I can get an AD in there and say for you. 
you can live in happiness. How do believers do this? Why didn't Job quit on God? Why did Paul and Silas sit sit around in the jail cell and sing praises to their Lord? Well, they had understood what this psalm is saying. Choose to live your life this way. And you won't just find a blessing. You will come into this state of this Hebrew word that means happiness. Or another way to understand it from the English is, is happy, happy. Some of you wanted me to go third one there, didn't you? You wanted me to go Doug Dynasty on you here. Okay, it's all right. But let me give you a Sproul quote behind that. How about that? Is that allowed? Can you quote Phil Robertson and R.C. Sproul in the same? I feel like I'm breaking a rule. R.C. Sproul says, to be blessed is to enjoy well-being in every area of life. That is what this word means. The happinesses. It's not a real word, but that's what it's saying here. Blessed is the man. Happiness, plural. The happinesses is the state of being that God's people live in when they truly decide, I'm going to live according to God's ways and not the world's ways. To God's ways and not my ways. True happiness is the experience of all who trust in the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21.6 For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. Psalm 34.8 O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Now the God-centered life here in this text is first described for us negatively. This is what the godly person does not practice. First, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The, the man who is happiness, happinesses, refuses the secular philosophy and the humanistic values of the godless. He just refuses them. He puts them off. He ignores them. He doesn't debate with them. He doesn't bring them into his life. He doesn't say, well, the Bible is good plus that. He just says, no, it's it's God. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He refuses the world's worldview. This worldview that places who at the center of life? Me. No, God is the center of all things. Do you read your Bible this way? Often we read the Bible as if mankind is the center of it all. Because, I mean, how does it start? God created a man. No, it starts with God. In the beginning, God. And then we begin to see some things that this being, this person, this deity called God does. And he doesn't actually get around to creating the man until later. He begins by creating a a galaxy and a planet and then these things that make up this planet. And then he puts the man there. We are not the central focus. We say, oh, but this deity sent his son to die on the cross to redeem man. Should that bring glory to the man or to the deity? We had really messed up. He had to do this not because of our greatness. He had to do this because of our sinfulness. The Bible is about God. Our lives should center around God. 
The Bible's wisdom for you here is to live in happinesses, is to have a God-centered life. It is to refuse the world's views. It is to choose not to live by the standards of morality of the world in which we live. What's right and what's wrong? What's good and what's bad? Well, what does the Bible say? The happy one chooses to avoid the worldly pursuits of pleasure. There's an implication here that we in the modern church often don't like. Because it makes us mean. It's this whole we're right and they're wrong. It's this whole we're godly and they're pagans. We're saints and they're unrighteous. We, we, we sort of don't like that. It's, it's become bad PR for the church. Maybe we should just put this on our website. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. We think that you are all going to hell, but we have the solution and you don't have to. Might not draw a big crowd, but it might draw the right crowd. What, what's happened to the church? We, we're not happy. We're not blessed. We're stressed. We're worn out. We're burned out. We're not even sure of our own faith anymore. Why? Because we've decided to try to embrace the world system and just add a little God to it and say, well, at least we're Christians. God's people weren't intended to live like this. The Israelites were not intended to stay in the wilderness. They for sure weren't supposed to be in Egypt. They were supposed to be in the promised land. And, and we like to whitewash the history here, but let's be clear of the history. God said, I'm going to go before you and wipe out the people that live in that land because they are not my people and you're going to inhabit the land in villages you didn't build. You're going to eat things that you didn't plant because I'm your God and I'm saying you can and I'm giving it to you. Yikes. Why does that make us squirm? Do we believe our Bible? Do we, do we just want like parts of it and probably leave that one out? No, I think we believe the whole Bible. But just the, the fact that this makes us a little uneasy to say it out loud is proof that blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And why is it my life more blessed? Why, aren't, why am I not happy, happy? Because I've tried to get on board with the counsel of the ungodly. I've tried to kind of live where he's at so that I can reach him. Well, then reach him to what? So first, the, the blessed do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Though this comes across as mean, it is very true. The Christian doesn't govern his life on the basis of bad advice from bad people. And you, and you want to say to yourself, well, they're not all bad. Well, let me just say it to you this way. They're unrighteous. They're none good. The only thing good about you and I that makes us different is Christ. But it's for sure a difference. <laughs> Secondly, he says here, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Here we have a shift of focus. This goes from the advice offered by the godless to their actual pattern of behavior, their actual lifestyle. Does it conform to the laws of God? Seeing this, a godly person should avoid it. Don't stand in that path. Don't linger with those who walk this way. 
Roger Ellsworth gives a good note here. He says, it is not contact with the godless that the godly seeks to avoid. It is rather camaraderie. We've taken that one a little too far, haven't we? We have to have contact so that we can share the gospel. But we are not to be having camaraderie. So why do I have all these problems in my life? Why can't I get peace? Why am I so stressed? You're probably missing the first two things of the very first song in God's hymn book. Are you walking in the counsel of the ungodly? Are you standing in the way of sinners? Third, he says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The godly person does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He refuses to associate with those who scoff at God. He avoids close relationships with blasphemers, pagans, atheists. Despite the allure in any justifiable way, you and I must be living out 1 Corinthians 15.33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now your mother taught you that verse in the King James to help you understand. Don't be talking bad and don't be hanging around with those people who talk like that. It's partially right. But when we talk about communication in the scriptures, we're talking about your way of life. So the idea here is bad company corrupts biblical morals. The psalmist says here, the happy person, the one who dwells in happinesses, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Scornful people are those who hold nothing sacred. They scoff at God. They scoff at all that's associated with God. To sit with such people suggests remaining or abiding with them or even enjoying their company. You know, this doesn't happen much anymore. In fact, I would say some of you lived in a generation where it did happen more often. How many of you can remember where you weren't supposed to do this and then other men would say something about it if you did this? Like if you were in town and someone spat in front of a lady. How many of you remember living in that day? Now I'm not telling you that this is the, the, the goal of the church or the world is to live in a whitewashed world. I, I, I don't know. People are going to do Sinners are going to sin. Why? Because they're sinners. But whatever happened to God's people saying, and, and please don't go out tomorrow and just start finding people to say, stop spitting in front of women. <laughs> but maybe stop someone before they tell a dirty joke. Or with their mouths or their eyes mistreat a woman. What's happened in our society? We just look the other way. We don't stand for what's right. I mean, we don't even do what's right. In fact, we, we just kind of stand around. The, the Christians are some of the most spineless people on the planet. Just whatever. When's the last time you've seen a Christian publicly apologize to for anything? No, they said, y'all need to change. Can we change? Does the word change? Does our God change? We can't be different. We're just not living out what it says. So the society says to us, we're looking past you. Well, they're not looking past the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not looking past the Mormons. They're not looking past the Muslims. 
They're saying to all of these other religions, oh, well, we'll hold what you say and what you believe sacred. But to the Christians, they say, yeah, just go along. You have been already. Why do you want to change now? Well, we better change and we better change quickly. Scornful people hold nothing sacred. They scoff at God. We've got to feel out of place and unhappy around those who make sport of God. Did you see the downward progression of verse 1? Starts walking, and then it becomes standing. So what have you stopped doing when you're standing? You're not walking anymore. You, you, you've gotten still. Martin Luther used to talk about temptations. And he'd feel real guilty about all the temptations that would come through his mind. The, the, just the sinful ideas. Y'all probably don't have them, but Martin Luther did. And his conclusion was not to beat himself up over all these sinful ideas. He said, they're just like birds flying through my head all throughout the day. He said, my job is in the world that we live in, a sinful world, I'm not going to be able to stop these birds flying through my head. I just can't let them make a nest. Well, this is how we must be. We're going to be walking around some scornful, ungodly, pagan people. Be careful that you don't walk in the way that they walk, but for sure don't stop and stand. If you ever find yourself sitting, find a brother or sister in Christ and say, help me out of this. There's a downward progression. If you refuse to walk in ungodly wisdom, you will never find yourself standing or sitting here. But, but just a little bit of it. Walk in it just a little bit and before long, that's where you'll find yourself sitting. So a blessed life. It's a God-centered life. And then verse 2 tells us that it's a God's Word-centered life. Be very vague without that. We, we wouldn't know exactly what we are to do or not to do. But God has given us His Word. He's given us Him. The first thing we have revealed to Him in His Word is Him. But then we have His Word on these things. Verse 2. But His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law doth He meditate day and night. Humans love to delight in things. We delight in all sorts of things. Some of us were talking before church about this nap we we're going to have after church today. How many of you are with me? You're going to delight and have this nap. Praise the Lord. Scriptural. He gives his beloved rest. Naps are holy. Nothing. Nobody's going to combat me on that one. All right. So they are. What do you delight in? Do you delight in the word? The delight of the one who lives in happiness is, is the law of the Lord. The person who knows genuine joy reads the Word and has great enjoyment from God's Word. Lawson says he constantly sets his mind on the truths of the Bible throughout the day, focusing on Scripture because it reveals the glory of God and His supremacy. Roger Ellsworth illustrates this for us about delighting in the Word. He says, what does it mean to delight in the Word of God? Here's a man who is in love with a woman. He delights in her. He yearns to spend time with her. And when he is with her, he drinks in every word she speaks. He is intoxicated with her beauty. So it is with the godly person and the word of God. Why? Because he finds that the word of God has joy for every sorrow and truth for every situation. Do you delight in the word? Some of you, it's a drastic thing to say to you. Don't walk, stand, or sit 
in the world system. But for some of you, it's like, yeah, that's right. But then we go a whole other step here, don't we? It's not just what you're avoiding, it's what you're clinging to. To just avoid some things makes you moral and ethical, but it doesn't make you godly or holy. The Word does that. If you just avoid some things for the rest of your life and and you don't fill up that void with the Word, well, well, then what are you doing? You won't grow. In fact, you'll be worse off. There'll be all these ungodly people out here happy and enjoying their life, and you'll just be crusty old Christian who's bitter. But you get into the Word, and God begins to replace in your mind the world systems with His systems. And you begin to grow thereby, and you begin to yearn for it. It does become like honey to your lips. The psalmist says here, he meditates in the Word. When? Day and night. The idea being that you are intellectually engaged in the text of the Scripture. All the time. That God's words are never far from your thoughts. That God's words are never far from your words. There's never been a time on the face of the earth besides when Adam and Eve walked together with God in the garden. Right now is the time we've had the most access to God's word since. It's everywhere. You've got printed copies. You've got electronic copies. You you can decorate your home with it. I mean, it's just, you have access to the Word of God in in all of life. Do you delight in it? The blessed life is God-centered and God's Word-centered. Verse 3 then gives us the outcome of this type of living. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So this person will be like a tree planted by a great water source. Plenty of nourishment that leads to lots of fruit. No withered leaves. Very prosperous. His roots are set deep into the reservoir of God's word. And God's word is a reservoir that will never run dry. The word of God refreshes us. It renews us. It revives us. It replenishes us. It cleans us up. It's satisfying to us as we draw near to the Word. Psalm 19, 7, 8, 9, and 10 talk about the Word. They say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Can anybody say amen to that? Has it converted your soul? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The psalmist says here, he's like a tree. He brings forth his fruit in his season. So in the good times and in the bad He is blessed. His leaf doesn't wither. His life has lasting results. Mostly that means eternal value. And then he can expect to enjoy the fullest life imaginable. Bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
living your life according to the philosophy, the policy, the ways of the Word of God will cause your life to prosper in a heavenly and an eternal way. may not always cause it to prosper in an earthly way. But you'll be sure of your standing in heaven. You'll be sure of your standing in God's kingdom eternally. Whatever you do will prosper. Now up against this we have the ungodly. The first few words of verse 4 are very damning. The ungodly are not so. It doesn't get more accusative than that, does it? It's pretty in your face. Hard to argue with. The life of the ungodly is not a blessed life. Unlike the righteous, whose leaves do not wither, the wicked are like the chaff that the wind blows away. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. There's a picture being drawn here from the farming techniques of their time as they would take the wheat harvested on this stone threshing floor and they would separate the usable wheat from the unusable chaff that was necessary in the growth process for protection and whatnot. But the chaff is useless at that point. And then they would take some sort of a a pitchfork type of thing and they would toss it up in the air and the the wind would blow the chaff away and the the useful heaviness would fall back down there, the, the grain. The psalmist is making this point to those whose lives were revolved around that type of duty on a day in and day out basis and says that those who live ungodly, outside the word, outside of a God-centered life, this is their end. It's worthless. It's discarded with no value. That's not a blessed life. That's a cursed life. Here again, the horrible philosophy of our society everybody has worth this is truly not the case you say well i don't like that it hurts my feelings well then evangelize the solution is to evangelize the solution is not to build up self-worth in worthless people do you know what building up self-worth in worthless people does It enables their worthless behavior. Sinners sin because they're sinners. And when the righteous will not draw a line and say, this is the line. And sinners, we we just kind of want to mingle or mix or try to get where they are. All we're doing to them is saying, you're not that much different. Probably it'll be okay with you. And then all of a sudden you have these theological systems that come along that say, I don't know that people will really go to hell. I don't know that people will actually perish Let me say that even in a harsher way. Will we eternally be perishing? That's what he's going to go on to say here. This is an empty life. This is a void life. You say, wait a minute. Oh, I've got people that I love that that aren't saved. Well, be honest with yourself. Are they really living a fulfilled life? Are they living an empty and a void life? What do I do? You share the gospel. You live your life this way so that you're so polar opposite from where they are that they see a clear way to live differently. If we don't do this, then we're just kind of enabling them to the the broad way that leads to destruction.
the chaff brings us to mind that which is just unsubstantial, shallow, worthless. That which in the end leads to just being burned in the fire. No matter amount, no matter the amount of successes that the temporal world may have, anything that ends that way we would say is a tragedy and not a success. I mean, you, could, you could gain the whole world, but if you lose your own soul, what has it profited you? Hank Williams wrote the song, I'll never get out of this world alive. No matter how I struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. A lot of truth in there. And some of you will say to me after church, not if I go in the rapture. <laughs> I'll take that even further for you and say, as a believer, it is not death to die for us. I think we just here to there to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I think there's no fear in death for the believer. That doesn't mean I don't fear death. I don't want to die. But when the time comes, I think there'll be some new grace and some peace there for the believers. But outside of that hope, especially to the pagan, ungodly world, death is the end result. And the aftermath of that for them is horrendous. But I've accomplished all of this. I've acquired all of these things. Look at what all I've done. Look at my legacy. My name is on things. I have people. I have things. I have stuff. I've acquired. I've climbed the ladder. In the end, you're a corpse. Six feet under. With a monument over your head. And in reality, who decided what size monument to put there and what to put on it? You did. It's a testament to yourself by yourself. What is it really? Solomon lived and died and said, it's just all of this is vanity. I've tasted everything. I've done everything. I've seen it all. He said, it's just vanity. Verse 5 says then, up against that, so the ungodly are not so. They, they don't live blessed lives. It's, it's wasted lives. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will not have God's acceptance when they stand before Him in the last day. They will be justly condemned in their sin, sentenced to eternal punishment in hell. They will not be allowed to remain in the assembly of the righteous, but will be excluded from the joy of fellowship with the saints. The wicked, the ungodly, shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's a very matter of fact. And then verse 6 summarizes for us the two ways of life. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we see a blessed life and we see a cursed life. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He is informed about their ways. Isn't that comforting? You can take this one or two ways this morning. You can say, boy, this is just horrible how the, how the world's going to end up and I feel so bad for them that I'm going to sympathetically just, just try to convince them to turn to Christ. I'm telling you, that's just wrong. It's in us to want to do that, but I'm encouraging you to do something else. Go back to verse 1 and live in happiness. Live the blessed life. Be ready at all to, to, to give the answer to anyone who asks you about your faith for sure. But if we just go around like a 
be careful who I insult. But if we just go around just sympathetically trying to pedal it off, to, we're not desperate salesmen. We're not God's peddlers. In fact, the, the wording for us that share the gospel is different in the scriptures. We're ambassadors for the king. This is the life we're to be living. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He's informed about their ways. He has a personal, intimate relationship with the gospel. Lawson says he is involved with them to, in order to guard, guide, and grace them. Isn't that great? I mean, it's horrible to think about the state of being of the ungodly, but I want to paint a picture for you this morning that the state of being for the blessed, for God's people that live in happiness is, is much better and is to be preferred. And why anyone would choose that over this, I do not understand. But you're going to go home this afternoon and turn on your TVs and they're going to tell you the opposite. The commercials are going to come on and they're going to say, you poor Christian, you'll never have this car, you'll never have this bank account, you'll never eat these foods, you'll never wear these clothes. That money you're giving to the church is going to waste. That time where you leave work early on Wednesday night to go to Bible study, it's going to waste. You're valuing the wrong things. And the world just pegs away at us in our brains all of our lives, from small children up until the day we die. And then when we die, then what? Versus, you know what, Lord? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Blessed is the man. This is walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This is stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight's in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And his life is like this. He's like a tree planted by a great water source that'll never run dry. You never see his leaves weathering. He's always bringing forth his fruit in his seizing. It seems like everything he does prospers. That's the life of the blessed. And surely, in contrast, the way of the wicked will perish. The ungodly will suffer relentless torment in a real place called hell, always perishing, forever suffering in the eternal wrath of God, never finding relief from God's just vengeance. The solution is the road that you're on. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in writing about this psalm, tells about a traveler in Ireland who once stopped a man beside the road to ask directions. And the traveler asked to his Irish friend, if you were going to Dublin, which way would you go? And the Irish man quipped, I wouldn't go there from here. Well, sadly, many people in our world tend to end up in a different destination than the road that they are on leads to. You can't have a blessed life, but it's not going to come living according to the course of this world. I would encourage you this morning to choose instead the God-centered life and the God's Word-centered life. Avoid the wisdom of the world. Order your life instead by the wisdom of the Word. We're sin-cursed humans. Even the redeemed will often fail in this endeavor. You say, well, I'm trying my best to live a Psalm 1 life, but I, well, I just 
Can't seem to get there. What does that tell you? I need someone besides myself. David said in another psalm, he said, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. This psalm, if you try to live it out to the letter of the law and say, all right, the preacher said, if I do this and I don't do that, I'm going to be prosperous in everything that I touch. Everything I touch will turn to gold. A year from now, you're just going to be distraught. But if you understand this to say, this is the way to live, but you'll never actually attain it in human, humanness. But Jesus has attained it for you. And in Christ, He's given you His Holy Spirit to empower you to live this life according to the Word. You will live the life of happinesses. Jesus lived and died a truly blessed life. He perfectly attained the pattern that is laid out for us here. So despite our failings, His righteousness is accounted to us. God made Him to be sin, though He knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in Him. Let's stand to pray.